Hello and welcome to The Culture Bar, an arts and culture podcast series brought to you by Harrison Parrott. In our Speed Podcast mini-series of quick insights into music and culture from around the world, we talk to music industry professionals about the music of their homeland to give us a view into different music, composers, sounds and instruments which make music both unique and universal. Today we will be talking to a Harrison Parrott artist coordinator, Teo. Teo, please tell us a bit more about yourself. Hi, my name is Teo, or Theodor Kung in full. Uh, I'm from Saint-Serge, a small village in the Jura Mountains overlooking Lake Geneva. I've been an artistic coordinator with Harrison Parrott for about five months, and uh, previous to that I worked as a concert violinist with orchestras in the UK and across Europe. Fantastic. So you are very well placed to talk to us about music and everything Swiss. So um, it would be great if we could just dive in, seeing as this is a speed pod. Um, So in your opinion, what has influenced Swiss music? Is it the landscape, language, location, chocolate? (laughs) Well, it's a mix of all. I mean, Swiss music and Swiss art in general doesn't get as much attention as it it might, and maybe as it should, probably because um, it's a rather small country whose five neighbours include France, Germany, Austria and Italy all nations who have made tremendous contributions to what is widely considered to be the canon of Western music, not to mention painting, architecture, sculpture, and all the rest of it. So this means that um, here in the UK, for instance, even if people know about British creative types who have been inspired by Switzerland, like Mary Shelley or J.M. Turner or Freddie Mercury, Mm -hmm. uh, they are unlikely to have heard of, say, the Swiss painter Caspar Wolff, uh, who's who's a wonderful 19th century painter, or they might not even know that composers such as Franck Martin and Ernst Bloch are originally Swiss. So when talking about what influences Swiss music, um, obviously the surrounding countries have exerted an immense cultural pull from the outside. More fundamentally, though, I think that Swiss art and Swiss society in general has, historically speaking, been defined by the topography of the country mm. itself. The reason why Swiss identity uh, is so strong and so unified, despite a divided history, I think, Uh, as well as different languages and a fragmented geography, is that the lives of the people who live there are punctuated by the same seasonal rhythms. Whether you uh, live in uh, Zurich or Vevey or Bellinzona, wherever you live across the country, your lifestyle traditionally is defined by the area's dominating feature, which is mountains. Uh, Your life in the passage of time would have been marked by the same events, snow in winter, melting and floods in the spring, haymaking and the pasturing of cattle in the autumn, (laughs) uh, and then snow again. So it's a unifying factor. And so inevitably, traditional depictions of Swiss life in music and art tend towards the pastoral, the rural, the idealized country life. Right up until the 1920s, when people like Arthur Honegger started doing all sorts of weird experimentations (laughs) with sound and so on. Honegger's most well-known composition is probably Pacific 231, which famously evokes the image of a steam locomotive that gradually builds up speed throughout the piece. Other composers who have mixed genres and experimented include, uh, for instance, the late Hans Kennel, who throughout the latter half of the 20th century mixed jazz with traditional alpine wind instruments, including the Alphorn. And if anyone's curious to know what that sounds like, um, I'd recommend you go listen to Dance 5, which is a really good example of how that works. More recently, anyone who's seen the cult film Ferris Bueller's Day Off will have heard Oh Yeah by Swiss electronic band Yellow. And younger Swiss pop stars like Bastian Baker are very much in the vein of Ed Sheeran and big international performers like him. So that shows a new kind of international influence uh, exerting itself on the Swiss music scene, but also showcases the fact that Switzerland is moving with the times as well, I think. 
Oh, so fascinating. I feel like I've had an entire history of, uh, of Switzerland in, in one go. So no, thank you very much. That was very, very descriptive. And I have a, a really beautiful view of uh, Switzerland, actually, in my mind from a cultural perspective, which you don't always get. You know, like you said, you, when I think of Switzerland, I always think of mountains. You will, exactly. Yes. And um, lakes. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, that, I think 90, fr 90 to 95% of the country is technically uninhabitable because oh it's goodness. either mountains, lakes, or forests. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Which leaves precious little to, to do your sculpting and your, your music writing. Yeah. Absolutely. And I suppose that makes it all the more important, actually, doesn't it, to well, utilize it? So, yeah. But oh, we're, we're lucky in the sense that our national character has a very strong image in the public mind. Yeah, absolutely. And um, moving from that, so are there any sounds that define Swiss music? Yeah, well, within this pastoral idea, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is probably what we call Ländlermusik, which is um, country music or folk music, with the usual bells, alphorns, accordions, and ubiquitous yodeling everywhere, of course, that sort of thing. Um, but actually, there's a, a rich tradition of music that's much more textured and interesting uh, than the uh, commercial stuff that was formalized in the 19th, early 20th century. Uh, in the West, for instance, there's a strong choral tradition, which is epitomized by the work of the abbot Joseph Beauvais, who lived in Cliburg. While in the East, you get zithers and violin duets, which sound actually much more Austro-Hungarian mm. than you might expect. Um, incidentally, a huge collection of songs was transcribed in the early part of the 20th century by a woman called Hani Christen. And some of the earlier traditional songs have some very dark and melancholy um, undertones, which... Well, as a violinist, I've always loved traditional Irish and Scottish fiddle music. Mm. Um, and a song set to words by Rabbi Burns called John Anderson, My Joe. I don't know if you know it. I do, yeah. And it, uh, I, I, I will briefly inflict my voice on your listeners. So it goes, John Anderson, me Joe, John, when we were first acquainted, your locks were like the even and Bonnie Brill was spent, something like that. And there's a Swiss song uh, called the Gukesberglied, which goes back at least to the uh, 17th century possibly earlier, which goes, which has a very similar character and melancholy and, um, and uh, minor key and all that sort of stuff. So it's not all sort of, you know, higgly gaggly joyful sort of <laughs> stuff. And cowbells. Well, exactly. <laughs> Although there is that too. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, sure. There's a valley in Schwitz, in one of the cantons called Schwitz, where my father's from, called the Muttal which is stuck at the back of a valley. It's very inaccessible. And it's a place where you still get traditional cow herding and they make the bells by hand. And you're supposed oh, to be wow. able to tell who made the bell by the sound that the <laughs> bell makes. That's amazing. App apparently. And, and did your father make a cow bell? No. <laughs> so you don't have a, a family cow bell that's uh, your unique sound? No, but we have a goat bell. Oh, wow, which okay. We, which my mother would ring uh, because we lived... Uh, <laughs> this is going to sound a little bit strange, but we lived at the top of a hill at the back of a small village. And we would often be roaming around in the woods and in order to let us know that it was lunchtime or dinner time, she would just ring the bell very loudly. That's perfect, I love that idea. <laughs> so that's your kind of reference to a, a Swiss sound, your, your, your yes, mother's exactly. goat bell. So, ding, it ding, it ding, all ding, started. Ding, ding. No, quite, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I suppose that segues quite nicely onto, are there any instruments that you can only find in, in, in Switzerland or is it mostly taken from the other surrounding countries? No, there are. And actually, I, I didn't think I was going to talk about the lunchtime goat bell, but that segues very nicely into what I did want to talk about. Because apart from the Alphorn, which everyone knows, there's something called the Swiss bells, Ooh. or the Alpine bells, which is not one instrument exactly. It's more like a big table with a few dozen small bells laid out chromatically in a scale. 
and you play them by picking them up and jiggling them individually. It's basically someone looked at a Celeste and thought, you know what would make this even better? Take away all of the helpful mechanics and the keyboard and just multiply the, <laughs> the effort by like 12. And that would be brilliant. I mean, it's a bit silly, but um, I think usually it's only performed as like a showcase piece. I don't think there are many serious Alpine Bells oh. soloists. You never know. It Maybe could come in back. The yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and can you tell us about one or two composers or soloists who exemplify uh, Swiss music? Yeah, well, we've al- I've already mentioned Ernest Bloch, mm-hmm. uh, and the music he wrote inspired by his own Jewish heritage is very well known, uh, especially perhaps the, the Baal Shem suite. But there's also some very interesting secular stuff that I would definitely recommend, such as Paysage, or Landscapes, um, and Dans les Montagnes, in the mo- literally in the mountains, which tie into a lot of the themes that we've discussed. Um, and also of interest, uh, I would say, are the symphonies of the not-so-well-known Joachim Raff, who was a 19th-century composer, who wrote some really lovely pieces. Um, I would recommend, for instance, his 11th symphony, which sounds surprisingly Russian. I think it has a winter theme, and uh, I think there's a lot of echoes of Tchaikovsky. I, he was clearly a fan of what mm-hmm. was going on in Russia mm-hmm. at the time, and I think you'll hear it. Maybe he was inspired by all the um, mountains and snow. I think so, yes. They were going for some... I mean, it's it's all quite accessible. It's not experimental in a chromatic sense, mm-hmm. but it is very evocative, and it's clearly written by someone of great skill and achievement, mm-hmm. who I think should be better known. No, that's lovely, and it's really nice to have a recommendation of a less well-known composer as well, so we can, we can all dive into that and experience that music for ourselves. So, um, and we're just coming to the end of our um, speed pod recording now. Um, and we've asked Teo to come up with a book, an album and a film um, to delve deeper into Swiss music and culture. So Theo, if you could give us your book recommendation first. Right. Well, this is not necessarily a straightforward one to begin <laughs> with. Uh, so for anyone who's interested in the fundamental archetypes of story and storytelling, I would recommend Carl Jung's essays, particularly a collection called Archetypes and the Collective Unconscious, which were written in the mid-30s. Full disclosure, I find them very difficult to read, (laughs) even in English. I mean, let's not even talk about the original German. (laughs) Um, But they contain the most amazing insights into why we as humans need stories and how mythology and fairy tales and religious texts from all over the world, no matter what culture you're talking about, those original narratives into which uh, the fundamental lessons about good and evil and understanding and sin and redemption and all that are are interwoven, how even if they're merely taken at face value, they can teach you, at least partly, what it means to be human and to live well. Mm. So if you can bear to crack that one open, (laughs) I think it will be a very rewarding read. Absolutely. Um, And your album recommendation. Album, right. Well, we've been talking about winter, and we're heading towards the winter months, and in the UK there's a great choral tradition which really comes into its own around Christmas time. Um, so for a taste of the Swiss equivalent, I would recommend Chanson d'ici, which is recorded by uh, L'Accroche Coeur Vocal Ensemble uh, in Fribourg in 2001, uh, and contains a lot of the music of the uh, abbot Joseph Bovet, who I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And it's a really lovely collection and represents a nice mix across the country's various histories and language groups, including Fribourg's local Patois dialect, which has sadly mm. disappeared largely, and which is m- almost entirely preserved in the Psalms of oh, that canton. Interesting. Yeah, that's a really lovely way to preserve a language, actually. Yeah, How well, interesting. I think music is, in some ways, vocal music is designed to preserve stories and heritage, mm. and it does it very well, and things live on there that will will not be seen again in, uh, in everyday life. 
No, no, that's really fascinating. That's a really great uh, recommendation. Thank you. And on to your final recommendation, film. Well, I'm going to go right down the middle of the road here uh, and recommend Luigi Comencini's adaptation of Heidi from 1952. Oh, wow. <laughs> which, yes, the book that everyone knows, the one book everyone probably accept, uh, expected me to mention. So the film was made in 1952, um, and it's based on the book by Johannes Spiri, uh, and it's a charming old black-and-white film. And while it's not exactly an Oscar winner, shall we say, I mean, it's done with fairly low-budget uh, methods, and, uh, and in, it's in black-and-white in the 50s, but it's... Um, it's a picture, it's as much a picture of Switzerland in the 50s as it is a depiction of the story, which is set in the late 19th century. And it always reminds me of my father, because he was a young boy himself when the film was made, and he would have been very familiar with the landscape and the people and that way of life. So it's quite close to our own personal history as well as anything else. Thank you for listening to the Culture Bar Speed Pod. Teo Kun was interviewed by me, Fiona Livingston. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please follow us on your preferred podcast player.